Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Amen. I love what I feel in the house this evening. You know, when God's in the building, great things always happen. And I believe that great things can take place in this very service. You know, the Bible says in Acts 1, when Jesus had resurrected from the grave, it says he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs for 40 days. And I believe there can be some of those infallible proofs in this house tonight on a Friday evening. I just believe God can heal somebody's body in this service tonight. Amen. I believe somebody can get a miracle. Somebody can have their prayers answered. Somebody can receive direction. Hey, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house already. God's already in the building. We're already here. And we might as well take full advantage of our opportunity tonight. Hey, man, I'm going to try to uh, contain this as long as I can, but it feels good in the house this evening. Hey, man, if you have your Bibles, I will quickly get into the word of the Lord tonight, 2 Kings chapter 20, and uh, as you're turning there, finding that, want to give honor to uh, your pastor and their family, brother and sister Gil, amen, how many love and appreciate your leadership that God's given you in this church, amen, also give honor tonight to, to brother Walls, give him honor tonight and everybody that's in the house of the Lord this evening, amen, and it's good to have my family with me this time. Amen. Last time they were unable to come, and uh, I'm just glad that they're with me this time. I love and appreciate them, and I could not do this without my family. Amen. I love and appreciate my family tonight. Second Kings chapter 20. Amen. Thank you for the invitation to come again. You know, it's always good when you get invited somewhere once, uh, but I think it's better when they invite you back a second time because you know you didn't mess up too bad the first time. Amen. But it's an honor to be back with you. Amen. And I just believe the Lord's going to do some great things in these next four services. Amen. Second Kings chapter 20, verse number 1 says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And you could preach from always hearing from God isn't always fun. And then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I've walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again. And tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I've heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Verse number 8 says, When Hezekiah hears all of these things, he says unto Isaiah, 
What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? The prophet walks into Hezekiah's life and tells him it's over. You're about to die. The king of Assyria is about to rend you powerless. You're about to lose your kingdom. You're about to lose it all. And we see through the actions of Hezekiah that he believes everything the prophet has just told him. We see that there's faith in the fact that this is it. It's over. Nothing's going to improve. Because his actions show us he believes it because he falls on the carpet and begins to pray. And he begins to cry because he believes he's going to die. But before the prophet is able to leave the property, God changes his mind and tells Isaiah, go back and tell Hezekiah, I've changed my mind. I'm going to give him 15 years and I'm going to deliver the Assyrian army into his hand. I'm going to do all of these great things. And the man that believed he was going to die, when he receives the news he's going to live, looks back at the prophet and he says, I want you to prove to me this is going to happen. He didn't ask for a sign when he heard all the bad. But he asked for a sign when God said, I'm going to change this and I'm going to help you. Because somewhere, I feel my Holy Ghost already in this house. Because somewhere in Hezekiah's life, in those few moments, he allowed himself to believe the bad. But he could not have faith to believe the good. Somewhere in those few moments, he allowed his faith to fall in a place I've come to preach about tonight. For the help, with the help of the Holy Ghost, for the next few moments, I want to preach to you about the plague of misplaced faith. The plague of misplaced faith. Why don't you put your Bibles down and why don't we lift our hands one more time all over this house before we're seated. And if you're in this house tonight and you need anything from the Lord, I want your hands in the air. And I want your mouth open right now telling the Lord exactly what you need Him to do in this house. In Jesus' name. Why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap of praise in this house. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I'm just going to jump into the sermon tonight and tell everybody in this house that the God that we serve in this building tonight is a God who specializes in the supernatural. We are serving a God who operates in the realm of the impossible. We were worshiping a God a few moments ago who moves in the measure of the miraculous. We find in the final chapter of Matthew's gospel those moments before Jesus makes his ascension back into heaven. The Bible tells us that he looks at his 12 disciples and tells them that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Or in the original, it would tell us that 
All authority has been given unto me. He tells his disciples, I have the power, meaning that I have the authority, I have the strength. It is in my jurisdiction to bring into existence the very thing that you'll ever have a need of. Now, we understand the term jurisdiction is defined as having the power or right over a person, a subject matter, or a territory. So when Jesus tells his disciples, I have the power or I have the authority or it's in my jurisdiction in heaven, he's simply telling those people that the power that I have and the authority that I have has the ability not just to move in heaven, but it has the ability to manifest in the world in which you live in. And that is exactly what we need to have happen in this service tonight. We need the power of God's presence to transpire and manifest in this service. We need his power. We need his authority to stretch beyond heaven and move exactly where we sit in this house tonight because the God that you serve has just as much jurisdiction on earth as he does in heaven. He doesn't just have all power in heaven, but there is a power that can stretch beyond heaven and it's a power that can manifest in this building tonight. That's the kind of power that some of us need in this very service. There's people in this house tonight, you've come to revival and you've got one thing in mind. You come knowing that I need the power and I need his authority and I need his jurisdiction to manifest in this house. And what you're feeling in this house right now is that power. And I've come to tell somebody in this building that there's a God that walks among us who's ready to meet every need. He's ready to answer every prayer. He's ready to heal everybody. He's ready to give miracles. Hey, we don't have to wait until tomorrow night. We don't have to wait until Sunday. But somebody in this building, you can have your need met tonight because there's a God whose power can manifest in this house. It was Luke who wrote and recorded the words of the angel when he said, for with God nothing shall be impossible. You keep flipping the pages of that same gospel and Luke once again begins to write this time at the words of Jesus when he tells us that the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And I've come to tell somebody that it doesn't matter what you may be facing. God hasn't lost his power. It doesn't it doesn't matter what may be troubling you. God hasn't lost his ability. It doesn't matter what the enemy may be trying to convince you of. There is an anointing in this building that can move and meet every need regardless of what it is. There's a God who's ready to meet everybody in this house. That's why Luke can write nothing shall be impossible with God. It may be impossible with us, but when God steps on the scene, impossibilities become possible. I've come to tell somebody in this house, God is able to do anything that you have need of. If you're feeling low, he can pick you up. If you're discouraged, he can bring encouragement. If you need a miracle, he's still the miracle worker. If you're in this house and you need a healing in your body, he's still the great physician. Why? Because there's much jurisdiction in this house as there is in heaven. I've come to tell somebody 
somebody, there's a power that's ready to manifest in this service tonight. If we can realize there's a God among us who has just as much authority here as he does in heaven. It was the prophet Isaiah who begins to write and tell us that I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Now to fully receive what the prophet is trying to tell us, understand that the train was the thing that was worn at the bottom of king's armor in that day. And when the battle was won, the king would send his men throughout the land to gather the spoils of the war. And the king would take the train of the defeated king cut it off and attach it to the bottom of his train so when that king would parade down the streets of a city the length of that robe was a testimony of how victorious he was the longer the king's robe signified how powerful he was the longer the robe the more battles he had won the longer the robe the more kings he had defeated and the prophet tells us our God's train it fills the temple and what the prophet is trying to tell us we are serving a God who's conquered every disease. We are serving a God who's defeated every devil. I've come to tell somebody in this house, it doesn't matter what you're facing or what you're fighting or what your situation may be. There's a God who's already conquered everything that you're dealing with in this house. The God that we are serving in this building tonight is a God who has never been conquered. He's never lost his power. He's never made a mistake. He's never forsaken his own. He's never bowed to an idol. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost his way. And he's never ran from a problem. And this is the God that you serve. And this is the God that's in this house. You don't talk about God's power without his power showing up and that's what we need to have happen in this service tonight we need power to deliver we need power to set free we need power to heal we need power to make a way whatever your need is there is a power that can stretch from heaven and manifest in this house now I'm not in the market for false advertisement but let me just step out and tell you that if you're in this building and you've got cancer there's a God in this building greater than your cancer if you're in this house tonight and you've got diabetes there's a God who can regulate your diabetes if you're in this house and you've got chronic back pain there's a God who can give you strength if you've got a broken heart if you've got sickness if there's a spirit tormenting you there's a God who's able to step in this building and he's able to meet every need that's what we need in this house tonight we need his power his authority his jurisdiction to manifest in this house. The miraculous and the supernatural can step in this very service because he has just as much power and authority here as he does in heaven. And while it's great to know that we are serving a God who's able to do anything in this house, you may be in this building asking the question, well, what does it take to get God working for me? There may be people in this building who's got needs upon needs and you're wondering what do I have to do in order 
work to get God to work? Well, the answer is very simple. It's scattered throughout the pages of your Bible. If you need God to show up in your world, if you need God to work in your life tonight, all you've got to do is have faith because Jesus taught about it and he performed miracles by it because faith is the very thing that unlocks the power of God. Faith is the key that opens the door to the supernatural. I've come to tell somebody, if you need God to work, all you've got to do is just have faith. In fact, it was Jesus who one day looks at Peter and says, Peter, if there's a mountain you need removed in your life, he says, all you've got to do is just have faith. The principle Jesus was trying to teach is that if you're ever faced with an impossibility, if you're ever faced with a mountain, he said, all you've got to do is have faith. Not according to your neighbor's faith, not according to your preacher's faith, but according to your faith, it's going to be done. You may be in this building tonight wondering what's it going to take to get God to move what's it going to take to get God's attention I've come with a simple answer tonight all you need is faith because it's faith that initiates the miraculous it is faith that transforms lives because all things are possible to him that believes God can touch your world God can change your situation if you can just have faith because it's faith that releases God to work. I would remind us it was faith that caused four unnamed men to tear the roof off just to get their friend to where Jesus was. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, the miracle began. It was the Gentile woman who looked at Jesus and said, even dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And scripture indicates that Jesus looks at her and says, because your faith is great, I'm stepping into a new dispensation. It was that single solitary leper who decided to go back and worship. And Jesus said, because of your faith, I'm going to make you whole. I believe Jesus come into our services and he's looking for one thing. He's looking for faith. If he's in this building tonight, he's looking for faith because God says that's all you gotta have if you want me to work. I feel that power this house right now and God sent me to tell somebody all you've got to do is have faith that's all God requires in order to get him to respond if you need God's power to move just have faith because it is faith that gets God's attention and allows him to work regardless of the situation He loves faith so greatly that the Bible says when the Son of Man returns to the earth, he's going to be looking for one thing. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? And I'm convinced every time Jesus comes to our services, he's looking for one thing. Will I find faith in Medora tonight? Will I find faith on this side of the building? Will there be faith on this side of the building? There's a God who's ready to manifest power. There's a God who's ready to manifest authority. There's a God who's ready to show his jurisdiction and all he's looking for is for somebody to have faith. But in order 
for God to move, you've got to understand there must be faith present. Because I am convinced if it was not for faith, that lady with an issue of blood would have never pushed her way through a crowd. If it was not for faith being established, blind Bartimaeus would have died blind. If it was not for faith, those 10 lepers would have never said, why sit we here until we die? If it wasn't for faith, no miracle would ever come because faith is the catalyst for any miracle. Faith is the very thing that releases the power of God but if you want God to work faith has to be established understand that look back over your life all those times God moved all those times God responded all those times God worked you would be quick to realize that nothing would have ever changed and nothing would have ever transpired unless faith was established look through your pages of your Bible before any miracle came before anybody was restored before anybody was delivered before anybody was saved faith had to be established if there's one common denominator through every instance when God does the miraculous and the supernatural it's the common denominator called faith because before God responds and before God can move faith has to be present but sometimes if we are not careful we can take the faith that we have and we can allow that faith to fall in the wrong place because go back to when Jesus begins to talk to the disciples and he tells Peter that if you want that mountain to be removed he says have faith yes but he says it's not enough just to have faith I've come to challenge theology tonight and tell us that it's not enough just to have faith because if that was the case Jesus would have stopped talking but he looks at Peter and says Peter you've got to take the faith that you have and you've got to put it in the proper place because if he says if you can have faith in God because the fact is before the supernatural can come and before the miraculous is manifested faith has to be present and faith has to be put in the proper place it's not enough just to have faith but I've got to take my faith and I've got to put my faith in God some years ago I'll tell you how the Lord began to deal with me on this very sermon I'm preaching tonight. Some years ago, I was in the great big city of Walnut, Mississippi. And if you've ever been there, you know the sarcasm that I just used. But I'm there by the gill and I'm walking the track. It's just me. And all of a sudden, my cell phone in my pocket begins to ring and I pull my cell phone out and realize that it's one of my best friends calling me. And so... I answered the phone and on the other end of the phone was one of my best friends in the world who was choking back tears and as he's able to just kind of compose himself and bring himself able to be able to talk he begins to tell me how he literally fought himself for an hour just to pick the phone up and make the phone call and when he gets all of that out he begins to tell me of everything that he's presently going through he begins to tell me how his ministry is under an attack and how his wife 
is having anxiety problems and she's having to put on nerve medicine. He begins to tell me all of these things that are going on, how this is happening and how that's happening. And when he gets to the end of the conversation, he ends it by saying, I've gotten to a place that I've accepted. This is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And as God is my witness, as sure as I'm standing here, when he made that statement, it was like the Lord just slapped me across the back and said, son, I want you to listen to what he just said. He said, because no longer does he have faith in my ability to change this. He said, but now his faith lies in my inability to change this. He said, no longer does he believe that I can move, but now he believes that I cannot move. And how many times have we said the same thing. This will never change. It will never improve. This will never get better. I've accepted this is how it's always going to be. And I've come to realize that it's in those moments when we make those declarations that faith has went out of what God can do and it's become misplaced and we put it in the place where God is unable to move. It's the plague of misplaced faith. How many times have we been in circumstances? How many times have we been in trials? How many times have we found ourselves in a place where we needed the hand of God to work and the hand of God to move? But we've come to the place where we said, you know what? Nothing will ever change and nothing ever is going to improve. I've come to preach the simple truth that God honors faith. But in the same measure, I've come to tell us that if we are not careful, we can allow our faith to fall in the wrong place. Yes, if there was no faith, nothing would ever change. But I dare say that if faith is not put in the proper place, then God cannot fully be God. If we are not careful... And if we are not aware, faith can become misplaced and become detrimental. You may ask, how does this happen? I thought faith was my direct line to God. Oh, it is. It's given to us by God himself. The Bible tells us to every man is given the measure of faith that tells me when every person in this building was born, God deposited inside of you the measure of faith. He gave every one of us the ability to believe God for something But I've come to tell us God, while he gives us the measure, he steps back and says, I'm going to leave it up to you where you put the measure that I've given you. God says, I'll give you everything you'll ever need for a miracle. I'll give you everything you'll ever need for your healing. I'll give you everything you'll ever need to have your situation turned around and your prayers answered. But God said, that's as far as I can go. I'll give you the measure, but it's up to you where you place the measure. God loves faith so greatly that all throughout the Bible, faith becomes a major theme, especially in the New Testament. It's a many, it's a central theme to many of the writings. Men dedicates verses and chapters to this very thing called faith, to burn into our mind the importance and necessity of faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews dedicates the chapter 11 to this very thing called faith. It was through faith and by faith and in faith that those people 
people were able to do those great things. In fact, it goes on to tell us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But when you come to God, you must believe that he is. It doesn't take much for the miraculous. It doesn't take much for the supernatural. But God says, when you come to me, you cannot come empty-handed, but you've got to come to me in assurance with the measure of faith that I've given you. You cannot just have faith. You've got to put the faith in the proper place. God loves faith that he moves and tells Abraham, because you've obeyed me every place your footsteps, I'm going to give it to you. God responds to the kind of faith when Samson can take a jawbone and slay a thousand Philistines. God responds to the kind of faith when Naaman dips seven times in a muddy Jordan. God moves when that faith comes, when Ezekiel prophesies to the wind. He loves that kind of faith. I am convinced if God's got a weakness, it's for those who can stand up in spite of their circumstance and still believe God for a miracle. If God's going to move for anybody tonight, it's going to be for those who can have faith regardless of their present situation. But the truth is, I haven't come to preach about Abraham faith. And I haven't come to preach about Samson and Naaman faith and Ezekiel faith. But we've got to deal with another kind of faith in this house. Because I've come to look at Hezekiah faith. The prophet walks into his life. And he tells him the king of Assyria is about to rend you powerless. You're about to lose your kingdom. You're about to lose it all. In fact, you're going to die, Hezekiah. And the Bible tells us in that moment, he believes everything the prophet tells him. He turns to the wall and begins to remind the Lord of all the things he had done. And before the prophet's able to leave, he goes back and tells him, God's changed his mind and he's gonna deliver the king into your hands and you're going to flourish, and you're going to prosper, and he's going to give you 15 years. But the same man that believed he was about to die was the same man that could not believe he was going to live. Because somewhere in that moment, he allowed his faith to go in that wrong place where he said, you know what? I'm going to lose it all, and this is the end for me. We are given the measure of faith. That's not the issue. The issue in this house tonight is not faith. The issue is where we place the measure of faith that God has given each and every one of us. When I worked at Ashley Furniture before I went full-time, I worked there six years, and in those six years... I come in contact with a lot of men and I was able to witness to a lot of those guys. Some came to church, some didn't. In fact, some are still in the church today, thank the Lord. But I remember we had just hired a new young man and, and as I was walking through, going to do something, I felt kind of just nudging the, the Holy Ghost to go invite him to church. And so I walk up to him and introduce myself and I say, man, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? And he kind of just pats me on the back and says, man, I appreciate it, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe in all that stuff. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, why don't you tell me what you do believe in? And he began to tell me how he believed in the Big Bang Theory and 
and how the, the, this random explosion happened and here we are all these years later and Brother Gil I walked away from that conversation realizing it's possible to have faith but to put your faith in the wrong place and what he done then is what so many of us do in our own walk with God because how many times are we met with circumstances and we're met with situations and we can we, we convince ourselves that nothing's ever going to improve and we talk ourselves into believing nothing's ever going to get better and we convince ourselves God's done all that he can really can do and if we are not careful we can have the same faith that Hezekiah did he believed he was going to die he believed the Assyrian army was going to destroy his city he believed the bad but he could not believe the good this last July I can honestly stand up here and tell you that I have lived what I'm preaching now this last July, my son Cade, who's sitting back there with my wife, was born seven weeks premature. My wife had, what did you have? Pancreatitis. It's been a long nine months. She had pancreatitis, and because of that, it pushed her into labor seven weeks early. And when Cade was born, his lungs were not fully developed properly. It wasn't producing something that allowed his lungs to extract and inhale and exhale. and It caused him unable to breathe properly. And in fact, when he was born, I thought he was born dead because he was solid purple and there was no breathing. They put an oxygen mask on him and they, they tried to stimulate him the best they could, but nothing happened. And it took a few minutes to get him breathing. And then we tried to give him his bottle to feed him. He was unable to breathe. And take the bottle at the same time and so all of this happens they rush him down to the nursery and hour after hour passes and I keep going back and forth to that nursery how's he doing are there any improvements are there any changes no he's going to be alright though and I'll be honest I had a flesh moment because I looked at those nurses and I said, you know what, I understand you're trying to be nice and you're trying to ease my nerves, but I said, I don't need all of this professional talk right now. I said, I need to know how bad or how good it is. I need to know the chances of him surviving. I said, just tell me what it looks like. Sir, we don't know. Because he's unable to breathe on his own. And finally, they had to rush him to Le Bonner, one of the top children's hospitals in all of America, so my wife is in one hospital having surgery and I have to follow the ambulance going to the other hospital to stay with my son in Labonner. And I can honestly tell this congregation tonight as transparent uh, as I'll probably ever be in my ministry up until this point. Uh, those seven days that Cade was in Labonna on those oxygen tubes and that breathing machine, uh, I can tell this congregation my faith uh, has never been more under attack than it was in that week. The enemy fought me from sun up to sundown. My mind wouldn't stop racing because every time I'd look at my boy in that room, I'd see all those tubes running down his throat and I would see all of those machines running and I would see all of those things telling me this doesn't look like a good scenario. And I'll tell this congregation tonight my faith begin to shake a little bit because of what the present situation looked like. The nurses weren't sure what was going on. The doctor wasn't sure what was going on. They said, I'm not sure if he's ever gonna make a full recovery. And here I am staring with these questions in my mind. Will he ever 
to breathe on his own? Is he going to have trouble? Will he never be able to run? All of these things are bombarding my mind. And for seven days, my faith began to waver. Here I am, a preacher. Preach about faith everywhere I go. Preach about miracles everywhere I go. Preach about uh, the miraculous and the supernatural every chance I get. Uh, but here I am, the preacher, staring uh, at this impossibility face to face. And uh, I'm the one that preaches faith to everybody else. Uh, but I'm the one that's having trouble in my own faith. And it was in those seven days that my faith began to waver. My faith began to be shaken. And I began to entertain the thought, you know what, maybe this is as good as it's ever going to be. You know what, maybe he'll always have to have a breathing machine. You know what, there goes his chance of playing sports and enjoying what little boys enjoy when he's young and when he's older. There goes all of his fun he's going to have because he's going to be restricted and he's going to be restrained. And it was in those seven days that the Lord took me back to this very scripture that I read to you. And he said, son, you've preached it to everybody else, but now you've got to let it be preached to you because I've come to learn that if we are not careful, situations can come and life can be turned upside down and we can look at the present situation. And if we are not careful, the devil can whisper in our ears and say this is never going to get better and this is never going to improve and it was in those moments when I found my faith coming out of what God was able to do and my faith began to fall in the fact of what the adversary was telling us and I had to remind myself God has given me the measure of faith I can get a miracle in this hospital and I had to realize that God's given me everything that I'll ever need for a miracle and it was in that moment I had to take the measure God had given me and put it back in his hands because I learned firsthand faith can become dangerous if we allow our faith to fall out of what God wants to do and we put our faith into what our situation is telling us faith can become dangerous when we place it into the hands of our surroundings and we lose our faith in what God wants to do faith can become detrimental when we believe the evil report and we cannot believe the good report faith becomes dangerous when we allow ourselves to believe what the adversary is telling us and we shut a deaf ear to what God's trying to tell us. It was a plague that arrived in 1347. An estimated 75 million people became a casualty. It became known as the Black Death, but what I've come to preach about tonight is not a physical plague because I've come to preach about a spiritual plague that we've got to get a hold of in this house tonight. It is a plague that convinces people to believe everything bad that the adversary's trying to tell us, but we just cannot have faith to believe the good when the preacher preaches to us and says, God's gonna turn this around. I'm preaching to people in this house. Why is it that we put so much stock into what our situation says and into what the adversary says but when God tries to tell us I'm about to work and I'm about to change it we wrestle with it and we demand a sign from God when we didn't demand a sign when the bad news came it is a plague that's caused people miracles 
It is something that has caused people their the very thing that God wanted to give them. I've come to this first service of revival to tell people in this congregation that God's in this building and there is a power, there is an authority, and there is a jurisdiction that can stretch beyond heaven and it can manifest in this house. There is a God that has conquered death and hell. He's put his foot on everything you're facing tonight. But God sent this preacher to tell you that we've got to be willing to overcome the faith of Hezekiah I feel my Holy Ghost in this house to tell somebody God can heal you tonight God can make a way tonight God can turn it around tonight but you've got to take the measure that God has given you and place it into the one who's able to change the very circumstance lift your hands all over this house right now Come on, let's reach for the Lord right now as they come to the music. I feel to stop right here. Come on, the Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody in this house. As we stand all over this building, we lift our hands from one side to the next. I want you to lift your hands. And as you lift your hands, I want you to take the measure that God has given every one of us. You've got the ability to get a miracle tonight. You've got the ability to get God to move tonight. You've got everything you'll ever need for God to show up and change everything. Come on, somebody pray right now. God responds to Abraham faith, but it's Hezekiah faith that almost shuts him down. We live in such a negative world. Everywhere you turn, everybody focuses on the negative. Everybody focuses on the bad. And if we are not careful, that mindset will bleed over into the spiritual man. And we'll focus on everything that's not right. And we'll focus on everything that's not going right. And we'll become so fixated on everything that hasn't happened yet that we allow our faith to fall out of what God wants to do. And we put our faith into what the situation says at that present moment. I was in the state of Texas a few years ago preaching a revival. First service, that Sunday morning service, about 20 minutes into the worship service, a young man comes through the back door, sits on the back side, the left side of the church. And that pastor nudges me on the shoulder and he says, son, if you preach to anybody today, I want you to preach to that young man. For the next 30 seconds, he gave me a quick rundown, a quick synopsis of everything that young man was going through. And if anybody needed a move of God, it was that young man. So I walked to that pulpit that Sunday morning with a mindset. If I'm going to reach anybody in this building, i got to reach him. And for the next 35 to 40 minutes, Brother Gill, I preached everything I need to preach. I pulled... I reached, I sweated because if anybody needed a miracle it was that young man the altar call was given people began to move toward the altar in fact I believe it was in that service a few received the Holy Ghost and 
there were others that later on reported that God touched them in that service. It had nothing to do with the preacher, but when God gets ready to move, all he needs is faith. And I watched as all of that was going on in the altar, I watched that young man shake his head no. And he walked out the door only for a few days to pass and him to pick up the phone and call that pastor. And he said, Pastor, I meant to call you sooner, but he said the other Sunday morning, he said, I meant no disrespect by just kind of walking out during the altar service. But he said, Pastor, I begin to watch all those people in that altar get their needs met and experience the hand of God move in their life. He said, but I begin to look at my present situation. And he said, I began to look at where I was in life at that moment. And he said, in his words, he said, I convinced myself that it was just too far beyond God's reach to help me. And what that young man done then is what so many of us have done in the past, myself included. I had to shake myself in that hospital room because I found myself almost believing that's the best life my son's ever going to have. But I realized I've got to take the measure God's given me. And I've got to put that measure back in God's ability. And here he is today. No breathing problems. He can eat a bottle on his own without having trouble. They thought he had heart complications. We took him to the bottom last week. There's no record anywhere of anything showing up on those scans that they took when he was born. You want to know what it was? It was because there were some people that said, you know what, God's given me everything I'll ever need and need to have a miracle. And I'm preaching to people in this house tonight. It's been over a year and a half since I've been here. But there's some people in this building. You've got everything that you need right now for God to step in your world and turn everything around in your favor. All God is saying, why don't you put that faith in my ability right now? As they begin to play and sing, I wonder if there's some people in this house that says, you know what, I need a move of God in this building tonight. Come on, I'm about to put this microphone down and there's some people in this building. You ought to already stepped out of your pew right now because God says, I can answer every prayer right now. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.